Welcome to Stand Up Pedal Action. Welcome to Supa. Just a quick note before we get started with the second half of our interview with cyclocross legend Katie Compton. In the first half of our interview, Josh and I talked to Katie about her career, how she got started, and the challenges she faced along the way in nearly two decades of racing. That episode is available on our website at supa.bike or in our back catalog wherever you get your favorite podcasts. If you haven't heard the first part of our interview with Katie, we encourage you to give it a listen when you get the chance. In this second half of our interview, we talk with Katie about her experiences after she was made aware that a retest of a urine sample from September of 2020 had come back positive for an exogenous anabolic steroid and how that radically changed her plans for the closing chapter of her life in racing. All right, everybody, welcome back. Uh, we are here for the second half of our interview with Katie F. N. Compton, as Josh pointed out. <laughs> um, and we're now going to be talking about what effectively is the mm -hmm. elephant in the room. Mm -hmm. As we sit here in the studio, we are one day out from news breaking that is the most surprising and the most challenging news that any cyclist could ever have. And there's a saying we all know, which is that all's well that ends well. And Katie, I'm sorry to say that for you, it looks like things did not end as you planned with your career. It definitely did not end as I had planned. Um, it was probably the worst nightmare coming true, honestly. Um, when I found out February 8th, I think it was, um, I think the like kind of floor fell out below my feet. Just one of those like I couldn't I obviously couldn't believe it for myself. I've never taken anything, never would, never thought I'd have to be in this situation. It was something that was like super foreign to me where I never really looked at the information of what to do um if this ever happened because I was like, "Oh, this will never happen. I don't take anything." Um so that was a tough trend like just acceptance of like, "Wait, what's happening and then just figuring out the whole process which is a challenge in itself yeah um and also like it's just ending my career on that note i mean i came back from belgium and i was in a bad spot and like gonna retire anyway and just kind of throwing it around and saying like i don't know if i can do one more season then i got that email from Isad, and i'm just like well that answers my question <laughs> <laughs> like i was kind of throwing it around but that's pretty much been answered for me so yeah um so let's Set the scene a little bit before mm -hmm. we get to that. Mm -hmm. And if you can just fill us in, what was your experience like with uh, drug testing as a cyclist mm -hmm. throughout your career? Like what, it, I mean, most people probably know, okay, yeah, riders get tested a lot. Mm -hmm. But what was that like? Like day to day, month in month? Yeah, out? yeah. So um, for out of competition doping controls, for registered testing pools, you've got international testing pool, which is like a WADA UCI um, testing pool. And then you've got USADA's like national testing pool. So depending on how good you are, you're either in a national testing pool with USADA or mm -hmm. the international testing pool, international testing pool, anybody, any test testing entity can test you okay. whenever. Mm -hmm. And the national pool generally just USADA. It's more domestic. Right. Um, so I've been in and out of USADA and getting tested since I was probably 15. Um, my first in comp test at junior nationals when I was probably 15, 16, that age. Um, mm -hmm. as a junior athlete, I was in the whereabouts system for USADA, which is paper whereabouts because we didn't have the internet. So <laughs> <laughs> I would fill out paper whereabouts and mail them to USADA 
for them to keep track of like where I was and when they could do testing. Wow. Um, and it's kind of unfortunate because like, I mean, it's a good thing. Like when I was in high school, like I didn't even, I didn't smoke pot because I couldn't, which isn't, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess it's a good thing. Yeah. But like when you're with friends, I like, you know, want to get high and smoke pot. I'm like, God, I can't even try it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because what about dope control? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's when it started. And mm-hmm. then um, obviously I wasn't in the pool, I think from, you know, uh, U23 college age, because I wasn't racing that much. When I started racing uh, Paralympics again, I was putting back in the pool in 2000, probably 2003. Mm-hmm. Uh, so from 2003 through now, I've been in the out of competition international testing pool. So that what that looks like is a yearly tutorial on anti-doping and how to, you know, not take drugs and the health effects and how to fill the whereabouts forms, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, you have to give uh usada an hour of where you are every single day um between 5 a.m and 11 p.m for them to come test you so like for the last 20 years every every day every single day i've had to fill out whereabouts of where they can test me um one hour each day no matter what wow yeah it gets real tedious um i mean you get used to it after so much time and i like i understand the reason for it all um but it does like especially when you're traveling internationally like flying to new zealand and you lose a day it's like well, <laughs> join me on this yep. flight here. <laughs> you do. I had, I had to put an airport time. I was like, I'm going to oh, be wow. at like LAX yep. from three to five and you can come test me. Yeah. You but got, then like, you had to say also tomorrow doesn't exist yes. for me. So yeah. I'm not giving I did, you a Yeah, film. I would just put, yeah. A, yeah, you can, you can actually now you can put travel day in like, you know, five, six years or you couldn't add a travel day. Like mm. now they've, they've made the system fairly efficient for athletes to fill out because it is such a hassle. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I've gotten tested numerous times. I think when I was riding really well, um, I got tested 19 times in 21 days. Yeah. By all the testing. I don't know what it was. There's so many people who came to test. I mean, I got tested like twice in one day. Yeah. Man. Yeah. So, I mean, mean, it's that kind of, um, it's a lot of testing. (laughs) And during the rest of the year, because the cyclocross season itself is pretty short, correct? Mm -hmm. So this testing is going on. All the time. Like all the time. It's middle mm-hmm. of May, middle mm-hmm. of June, all it's, sorts of shows. Yeah, up it's saying, random. Hey. They can show up whenever. They show up within your time slot. They can show up out of your time slot. It just depends on um, who who orders the tests, who carries out the tests, being USADA, being WADA, being UCI, being, um, oh God, there's so many of them. Um, NADA, I think. I don't know what's wor- what's going around now, but yeah. um, whoever orders the test you can come test. Like I've had one day where USADA was waiting for a sample and then the UCI showed up for a sample too. And I was like, really guys, you <laughs> can't communicate. Yeah. Yeah. So I gave them two samples, which I don't have to. I only technically need to give it to USADA, but the UCI woman flew in from Europe. So mm. <laughs> I was like, maybe I could give her a sample. Yeah. You're like, hey, um, make this happen. Yeah. But it's just like, really, you guys aren't going to communicate. You're not going to like save your resources, save your money and test me once and share that information, but whatever. <laughs> so, as a racer, then that's just a fact of life that you accept, yeah. and it became as normal as waking up in the morning. Yeah, yeah, you get used to it. Like, and I, and yeah, you just get used to submitting whereabouts and like just telling them where you are at all times. And one of the things that I think a lot of people probably don't know about testing is that if you come into it uninitiated, you would think, mm-hmm. oh, well, if I take these specific drugs, then I will fail a test. So as long as I don't take these few specific drugs, then I'm clean. But it's not that simple, correct? It's not that simple. Um, 
And like, I honestly, I didn't really believe when people said it was a tainted supplement or like they eat tainted beef or whatever until I was in the position I'm in now, because like, I know I didn't take anything. The supplements I take are certified supplements. They're amino acids, whey proteins. Like I take, I don't take anything that's like multivitamin, fish oil, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I don't take anything like that would risk me testing positive. And we've said yeah. here at Supo, we're not afraid of nerdiness. So <laughs> if... Since I'm the least medically trained person yeah. at the table, yeah, yeah, fill us in as much as you can or you care to yeah. about chemically. Like, what are we talking about? What kinds of things can trip a test that might be in beef or a supplement or mm-hmm. something like that? Um, well, I learned like I did some research after like this through this whole um, situation because I'm trying to figure out how something could have gotten in my system when my supplements were clean. I know I didn't take anything like, and it was such a small like microdose, like the. My initial test in September actually came back negative. So it, was atyp- it wasn't even atypical. No red mm-hmm. flags. There's no reason for them to retest it. And that was September. Um, and then it was open to be re- reanalyzed in January. So and why does that occur? Um, well, technically, I, they said it was a biopassport irregularity. And biopassport controls like red blood cells and hormones and seeing if anything looks different from, you know, when they're looking at, I've got 80 tests on my biopassport. And they mm-hmm. just look at the the raw data from those tests and see if there's any like spike in hormones. Okay. Um, so apparently that was what tipped them off. Like something's wrong. And that's when they in went January. back to retest in okay. January. Yeah. So my initial test in September was negative. Um, obviously, so I, don't, I mean, they've all like, I always yeah. get those negative tests. So I don't think anything of it. That's not something I just look at the letter. Okay. Yeah. Move yeah. on to the next thing. And were you then subsequently tested I was between test- September and January? Yeah. I was tested October, November, December, January. Um, and then February, March, they came test. In March, they actually did it full on. They took, I think, four blood vials, which is, I haven't gotten a blood test in like three years. So yeah. I was like, well, that's interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but so I think in like March, they did a full on, like looked at everything just to see. Um, and so, yeah, back to yeah. what we were saying. So hormone levels in the biopassport and things like that are the sorts of things that they're looking for when it comes to irregularities. Mm-hmm. One of the questions that I think is worth asking is, as a woman, are these things harder to manage or is that something that they've got, you know, because obviously mm-hmm. there are more hormones moving yeah, around yeah, more regularly. Yeah. 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 And I, I looked at that too. Um, but the, the test they did the second time, they could break it down to an exogenous source. Okay. And that was the issue. If it wasn't yeah. exogenous, it wouldn't have been an issue. Um, okay. But since it's exogenous, it came from somewhere. I just don't know where that is. And so like mm-hmm. my only thing is like, I was looking at the nutrition cause I'm really good about my diet and, uh, I generally only eat buffalo, pork, and chicken. I don't ever eat beef that much. Mm-hmm. But like I went to Costco and I bought beef. They had beef ribs there and they looked delicious and it was COVID. And mm-hmm. it's like, I wasn't worried about my diet. I was like, I'm not racing anyway. So I'm going to have some ribs and not think anything of it. But now I look back and I did some research on Costco and I didn't realize that all their cattle is from feedlots in Nebraska and they all raise with hormones. And like, I never eat beef, so it didn't even occur to me. And if I do, it's like grass-fed organic, no hormones, mm-hmm. like expensive, delicious beef. Yeah. And so I was like, huh, well, that's interesting. I mean, obviously I can't prove it because it's five months later. And right. I don't even know, like, I mean, to go back and see, like trying to even figure out where that food came from. I highly doubt that's even possible. Yeah. But that would be my only guess. Like. Mm-hmm. And since I never eat beef and I had that the night before a 7 a.m. test, it's like, maybe it was that small of a dose too. So wow. yeah, your, it's, yeah, it's frustrating. Your test was in September. 
The one that yes, September sixteenth was a test that they looked at, and it best came back negative. And then when it was reanalyzed in January, and you didn't find out about mm-hmm. this until February eighth. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think for USADA's press release, they even said that they just said September was positive, and it's like, yeah, but there's a little bit more to that. <laughs> Can, mm-hmm. A lot more to that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, and like, even like, this is something that I haven't actually put out there that much, but um, it's awfully coincidental and I can't prove anything. So I haven't said anything. Um, but like, so Mark and I reached out to the ITA, which is the International Testing Association, and they took over for, I think, UCI for the doping controls for, I think, cycling. It might be other sports. I know it's cycling. Um, but we had a conference with them on the 26th of January to kind of discuss like, doping and give them information about what's going on in Europe and how certain riders might be able to dope. And uh, so that was on January 26th. And that same day is when my sample in LA was reopened to be retested. And three Mm. days later, it was positive. So, I mean, I feel like that's super coincidental that like, and you thought I was like, oh no, we don't communicate that. That doesn't, it's just coincidental that that happened. It's like, I've had 20 years of in and out of comp negative tests, never taken anything. I know I didn't take anything. And then the same day that we talked to the ITA about doping, my sample gets opened and retested and it's positive. Like, I don't know. That's kind of coincidental. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. <sighs> so, but again, I can't prove anything. And they're like, no, that's not the way it worked. So I don't know. But yeah, it's suspicious to me. And we want to get into more of that what it is to fight a test to Mm. look into any of that here in a minute. Um, But talking about this, there was one thing that I saw in an interview um, that was just published yesterday that you had given where, and I I just was curious to learn more about this. Mm -hmm. Um, The first thing is you had said that I know how delicate women's hormones are and I would never choose to take anything that would jeopardize my health and as a result, suffer irreparable damage to my endocrine system. Mm -hmm. Tell me more about that. Like what kinds of risks are racers potentially facing if they are doping? Yes. And so, so I've had, um, I was diagnosed hypothyroid in like 2010, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, I still see my endocrinologist once a year. Um, my thyroid levels are normal and balanced now. Um, I take T4 and T3, which is um, just a thyroid hormone your body produces. My body doesn't... Um, it, trans uh transfer t4 to t3 very efficiently so that's okay. why i take both t3 and t4 mm-hmm. um but my my thyroid is good but going through so many health issues with thyroid imbalance um and that which also affects the hormones and like you want you go through that as a woman like the hormones like it's not just testosterone that the men deal with mm-hmm. like ours are crazy <laughs> there's certain times where i'm just like i'm crying i'm laughing i'm like sad like there's so many emotions all happening at once and you're just like what is wrong with me and like it's hormones and it makes us crazy sometimes so yeah. going through that figuring out the thyroid with like the energy levels the moods like there's so many symptoms that go along with it that I know if you if you take hormones, like your body stops producing those hormones. Right. So if as a woman, if you if you start taking like testosterone or nandrolone or whatever you want to take, it suppresses your natural mm-hmm. hormones. And that's with you know any hormones, like men or women, if you take something like even HGH, you're going to suppress your natural ones. Yeah. And that may not come back. 
Right. Like I've been on thyroid hormones for so long, like chances are I can't stop taking my thyroid medica- medication because mm-hmm. it won't like it won't reset itself. Um, yeah. And so I think there's risks that go on with women, especially as you get older, you go through perimenopause, you go through menopause, your hormones change and you stop producing certain hormones. It's like once you do that damage, say by taking drugs, you can't come back from that. Right. And you might not see that response until 10, 15, 20 years down the road. Mm -hmm. Maybe it affects your fertility. Maybe it affects your moods. It affects your weight, like your depression. Like there's so many things that it affects that as a woman, I think it's none of that is worth the risk. Yeah. And a lot of people who, like a lot of the high profile doping cases that have come out in the last, say, 10 years, Mm -hmm. one of the wrinkles that's usually in there is, oh, I don't know, team doctor was giving me things. I don't know what was in my system. Mm-hmm. But that's not the position you were in, correct? That is not the position, no. Right. Um, I mean, we looked at creams I could have used. We looked like Advil. I have Advil cream, which mm-hmm. we bought in Belgium. I don't know, maybe. But like, I didn't use it that week, that month. So that was an issue. I, my lawyer even mentioned like my husband. He's like, what do you think? Your husband? I'm like, he definitely didn't give me hor- like hormones. <laughs> he knows how crazy I am. The last thing he's going to do is like add to that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like that's a no. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's nothing I would have taken. Not only that, I've been taking the same exact supplements, same brands for the last five, six years, all negative tests. So why would like this one be different? Mm-hmm. I mean, that doesn't really help support my case. I didn't take anything. <laughs> sure. But it's like, again, I can't prove it. I can't prove like it's it'd be easier for me if I could prove I took a tainted supplement, because then it would be less of a ban. And, um, I'd have a, an explanation and I have none of that. So, and this is probably a good place to move into that challenge that you discovered in what happens when a test comes back bad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so why don't you paint us a little bit of a picture Mm -hmm. of why it is so hard to prove what you're telling us today, which is I didn't take anything. Why is that so challenging for an athlete? Um, a lot of it is because you're guilty until proven innocent. It's not the typical court of law where you're innocent until proven guilty. So like for me, I had to prove a hundred percent without a doubt that it was a tainted supplement and it wasn't intentional. So unless you can prove that, which is hard because, you know, you have to pay for the lawyer to help fight. You have to pay for your supplements to be retested, which isn't cheap either. You got to pay for the expert to look at the data. Like there's bills that you have to pay that you don't necessarily consider how much it costs. Um, yeah. and I mean, I, I spent $8,000 fighting it and I wish I wouldn't have because it didn't result in anything different. Mm. Um, because, and we were talking about this before the show, USADA does not actually abide by, or like a, a USADA investigation is not a U.S. justice department legal investigation. No, no. So your standards of evidentiary proof are different. Yes. Yes. And so, and you don't know what those rules are. <laughs> Okay, talk more about that. So like for the, yeah, so the lawyer you get when you're fighting a USADA case is a lawyer who deals with USADA cases. Mm -hmm. You can't just hire any lawyer because it's a totally different set of rules. Yeah. So that makes it difficult. I mean, because I have a friend who is an attorney who would have totally helped me out, but it's just like, you have no USADA experience. So yeah, (laughs) like, what do you do? And one of the things that you mentioned to us that was interesting is that you get a letter that says mm-hmm. you have a sample that came back positive, but they don't say why. Yeah. So my, I think the letter I got, um, it just said it was exogenous 
uh, anabolic. Um, but I don't know what it is. Like I asked my lawyer too, and he doesn't know what it was. And he said, you saw it. wouldn't tell me. So, um, and is there a reason for that? I, I don't, I, I think the reason they gave is if, if we let you know what it is, then we can help other people dope. So I don't know. I don't know what okay. was in my system. I know it was exogenous mm -hmm. anabolic, but I don't know what it was. And I don't know if I, I will ever know. But that also makes it really hard to explore to something and be like, well, what was it? What got into my system? So. Yeah. Um, it's like, it's an uphill battle that I feel like you just can't win unless um, you know exactly what supplement you take. And that supplement tested positive, like tested, tested positive as a tainted supplement. And for you in the position that you were in, what would it have taken to actually get this cleared? Like, it was there, did you quit because there was never a finish line that you could see? Or was it just, there might be a way to win, but it's so far away, we'll never get there? I don't think there was a way I could ever win. Like, I couldn't prove anything. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem. Like, there, I can't, it's not like a reasonable doubt thing. Okay. It's, you have to prove 100%. Um, and so I could probably create reasonable doubt, um, but that doesn't help me at all. And I could go through arbitration and spend more money for the exact same outcome. So unless I can prove it, it's going to be a four-year sanction regardless. And yeah. I just, I'm, I'm just over it. I was, bought what I could. I tried to explore and figure out the why. I couldn't do it. Um, I could have gone through arbitration, spent more money, spent another six weeks stressing about this for the exact same result. And so I was just like, you know what? Screw it. <laughs> I am so done. I like, and I, I also knew I wasn't going to race again. I don't, I'll make them over it. Um, yeah. Racing was not something on my radar. Um, last season was so bad, which is another thing. I'm just like, if you really think I was doping, I was actually really bad at that too. <laughs> because like, if you've looked at my results, like I think my best result may have been 17 in a small Belgian race. I don't know. Yeah. I was like 20 to 30th, like every single time. When I'm mm -hmm. used to being on the podium. So I'm just like, obviously it didn't help. <laughs> like, <laughs> obviously I didn't get lean. I didn't get strong. I didn't get good results. Mm -hmm. Like I figure I'm getting all the punishment for doping without any rewards. <laughs> <laughs> and you, yeah. you were telling us beforehand that you know, yeah. the, the plan was initially to you retire next year from yeah. pro, pro mm -hmm. cycling. Mm -hmm. And you kind of changed your mind in yeah. some of those races as you yeah. were overseas. Yeah. And then this came along mm -hmm. right around that time. Mm -hmm. And what what was it like for that all to hit together? Um, I I had a breakdown for sure. I've never had a panic attack until I think two weeks into getting that letter. Um, I had no idea like anxiety and panic attacks. So I'm just like, what is that? And then I was out walking the dog with my husband and like a full on panic attack. And I was like, super scared not knowing what it was and then of course i got home and looked it up and i'm like oh <laughs> that's what that was so like i just i've never felt so awful so for me like after having that season knowing the outcome of this like best case scenario i can prove it's a tainted supplement and i can maybe get a one-year ban um found out that wasn't going to happen um but i was like the fact that i was already hanging on I mostly decided to like just fight for for my reputation and not actually worry about racing again. Like I accepted the um was it the suspension, I think. Like in February I just said, Okay, I'm not gonna race. I'm not gonna like call it right now anyways and just fight for the reputation part. Um, so that was kind of the reason I was fighting, not not because I wanted to race again, but 
just to fight for, you know, the fact that I've always been a clean athlete. And this, <laughs> uh, it's a crappy way to end a career. Yeah. It seems yeah. like you're pretty outspoken about, you know, mm-hmm. honesty, mm-hmm. racing clean, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. encouraging people to mm-hmm. just do the best they can from their, mm-hmm. their own. I always have been. And that's funny because, like, my friends and family, they're all like, are you kidding me? You? Yeah. <laughs> like, they know how I feel. We've had so many discussions about doping and um, doping and sport and cheating and such. So they're always like, this is you? Like, they can't believe it either. And I was like, yeah. And I never thought I'd be in this situation. So it's, it's a challenge. And where had that drive come from for you? Because some people that I know mm-hmm. only, they would, their mentality would be like, well, I'm not going to cheat because I'll get caught. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's a very European way to think of it. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. It's very pragmatic. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I just was raised to do the right thing. You know, have a strong moral and ethical character where it's cheating. Yeah. And that's that's the way it is. Like, it didn't even dawn on me that that would be an issue. That, and I'm also, like, I'm pretty average at a lot of stuff. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's like, I'm okay with being average. It's fine. And, like, yeah. cycling was one thing I was good at. And only, like, cyclocross. I wasn't great at mountain biking. I wasn't great at road racing. I wasn't great at track. Like, I was good at it. Mm-hmm. I was second a lot. Um, I could win, like, short track mountain bike. But like cross country, I didn't have the power to weight ratio to be a good cross country mountain biker. So it's like cyclocross is what I excelled at. And I think that just, I just had the good balance of technical skill, speed, yeah, and uh, just the ability to go hard for a short amount of time. Yeah. So I took advantage of that. So after you got that letter mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and had a panic attack or two. A couple of them. Yeah. <laughs> What has it been like mm-hmm. to sit on this mm-hmm. while the rest of the world waited to find out? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's part of it. Is like you, I could talk to a few people who knew, and then of course I talk. I talked to my friends. I talked to my parents, my brother, and such, um, which was all super helpful. I I couldn't imagine going through this without a strong support network, for sure. Mm-hmm. They've been great, and I, my friends have been amazing too. Um, so that. That makes it a little easier, but just going through all the emotions and then not being able to afford therapy. <laughs> it's like, kind of feel like therapy would help right now. Um, yeah. But a uh, hundred bucks a week, I'm just like, mm, that stresses me out more. <laughs> like, look at yeah. the balance is like stress. Mm. Um, but honestly, trying to process the emotions, I've cried a lot. I started taking antidepressants, which have helped a ton. Um yeah, it's just I'm trying to work through it all and through the mental and emotional part, which is good. The fact that I am actually having this conversation without crying is huge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, <laughs> like, I mean, I think my lawyer, I talked to my lawyer a couple weeks ago and, and he told me, like, the reality of the situation. And I I just totally broke down to the point of, like, ugly crying on the phone. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he's like, do you have anybody to talk to about this? He's not trained for that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, he was. He was okay. great. He was very. Well, he, was he is great. trained, but he bills by the hour. Yeah, so. exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, five hundred dollars an hour. He's like, yes, keep crying. You can get counselors cheaper than lawyers. I know. Exactly, that's true. Um, but I, but he's like, let me call you back on Monday, and I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> hung up, and I had a complete breakdown, and then I spent like the weekend trying to think about it and like go through it. I'm just like, okay, I process this. I'm moving on. This is. Pretty much the only way it's going to end up, so. Have you had a chance 
to speak with any other racers that you know who have had positive tests as well? Um, one friend of mine reached out and I just need to follow up with her. Um, yeah. And like, I think she had an issue with like asthma medication, two E forms. So it's slightly mm -hmm. different, but still she emailed me about, yeah, we've been through it. And if you need to talk to somebody, we know how awful it is. So mm -hmm. there's plenty of athletes and I'm sure I'm not the only one that has gone through this. No, you haven't taken anything, but there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. Um, I do think they need to. I get, understand the testing they need for microdosing. I get that. But in this day and age with our food sources the way they are, with all everything that's added to food and meat, yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily fair that the testing is so sensitive. <clears throat> when, when this became the reality, <laughs> yeah. the nightmare that you were living, how did that change the way you looked at other positive tests because it would be very easy for someone on the outside to say oh yeah sure you didn't take anything i bet and have that skepticism well, had that been a part of how yeah. you had seen doping before oh yeah for sure i had that skepticism too i'm like yeah come on you're full of shit oh. <laughs> like we all do right. like unless you know the person and yeah what are you to believe like technically i'm the only one who knows i didn't take anything yeah. so it's like that's hard to for people to believe. I get that. Mm -hmm. Like I've been there too, reading other people's stories and I'm like, come on, really? And if I understand correctly, you had actually been somewhat outspoken about, or at least had mm -hmm. made oh, remarks yeah. Oh, yeah, about for sure. other doping cases yeah, in the past. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, I still agree with that. Like that hasn't changed. I just now, after going through what I've gone through, knowing I haven't taken anything, um, I can understand like, I'm sure there's other athletes who are in my boat. I'm sure I'm not the only one. I'm sure, like, some there is truth to other stories. Um, yeah. And people always lie about stuff. Like, sure. it's just the way. Like, even, like, if you can go back to the Lance days and, like, that whole thing. Mm -hmm. Like, honestly, none of those guys tested positive. They just got caught through Floyd, you know, actually Lance pissing Floyd off. And Floyd saying, like, guess what? <laughs> yeah. Oh, maybe you <laughs> I don't done care that. anymore. I'm going to, like, do whistleblower. But, yeah. like, they technically didn't test positive. So, yeah. I mean, all those guys like got six month off season bans for, you know, the information they could give, um, which is something you saw it does. They do reduce sentence if you can give any data to help them catch dopers. But if you mm -hmm. can't, same boat, different uh, punishment. Yeah. So they actually did take drugs and got a six month ban. I didn't take drugs. I got four years. So it's a little different. <laughs> yeah. And like, that's not quite fair, but... Yeah. Life's not fair. I figured that out. <laughs> also true. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you, you certainly are mm -hmm. taking on a really difficult thing in life with a pretty amazing attitude. Just the, the few times we've, we've talked about this so far, like yeah. you, you already had kind of an idea in the background, it seems mm -hmm. like of what you're looking forward to next. Mm -hmm. And the way your hand was forced mm -hmm. was it, a real bummer. Like, not um, awesome. <laughs> no, not amazing. But yeah. how is that perspective now? Like, mm -hmm. well, mm -hmm. I'm, you're just all in on this next mm -hmm. phase of life. Like you're uh, yeah. starting new. Yeah. And honestly, like all in. Yeah, that's right. And like, honestly, I love it. I, I knew like, I've always loved the health field. Um, I've always like kind of looked at nursing as something that just looks entertaining and fun and working under pressure and like problem solving and taking care of patients. Just everything about it looks interesting to me. Um, and then starting a CNA with Pikes Peak, you have to do a CNA program even to apply to the nursing program. So I figured like do that, work as a CNA. 
Um, and since I'm in home care now, it's just a different perspective. Um, like even yesterday, I was working with a 97-year-old guy taking care of him and helping him with um, like activities, daily life. And he's just so appreciative, so kind, so sweet. And I left. I'm just like, that matters. Bike racing doesn't matter. Like, I made him feel good. Like, I was there helping him out. And, like, me helping him makes me feel good, too. And, like, when I did the clinics at the hospital, I spent 12 hours not thinking about myself. And it was, like, a break from, like, the mental stress and emotional stress of, like, the stuff I'm going through. So it was, like, one... It was like 12 hours of like feeling happy because I'm like taking care of somebody else and what they need. And I mean, you know, it's they've got needs. <laughs> they need a lot of care. Um, yes. Yeah. And so just helping to make their lives a little bit better when they're in a really sucky situation and they're in pain and they're injured. Um, it That just makes me feel good. So um, after doing that, like. I didn't even think about bike racing, didn't even think about riding my bike. It wasn't even a consideration. And it was a wonderful break from reality. Um, so I think for me, like moving into that field, and even if I spend more time being a CNA, as it <laughs> takes me a long time to like go through nursing, <laughs> uh, I think I'm going to enjoy it. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. Well, the field is looking forward to having you as well. <laughs> I'll just say. Yeah. Well, I mean, the staff, like everybody I've, I've worked with, have, have been great. Like I know I hear horror stories about you know certain stuff and maybe difficult parts, but everybody was super great. So it's great to hear. I know, right? Great to hear. <laughs> and all the floors, all the units, I didn't run into anyone that was difficult to work with. Yeah, I guess that says something about memorial. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Shout out. Shout out. Seriously, yeah. right? Yeah. I would, I would say as well, I wouldn't, you mentioned that your years of cycling, that, mm -hmm. that, that felt like it didn't have as much meaning. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that you have tremendous meaning in, in that time that you spent because it wasn't, it wasn't just about you. I mean, it's yeah. to be a pro racer, there's a, you have to be selfish at times, Yeah. but the platform mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. was developed mm -hmm. and like the sense of agency mm -hmm. and influence that you had in that role, like you have inspired so many people. Mm -hmm pursue their dreams and pursue cycling and mm -hmm. try to do something they didn't think they could do before. Mm -hmm. Like, wow, she's just going crazy in a pit of mud and sand <laughs> as she's riding in like single digit degree weather. Yeah. Winter, yeah. like what are you doing? Yeah. That is a huge inspiration for so many people. Yeah. So it's, it's not without its merits, mm -hmm. I will say that. <laughs> well, and it did. I mean, I think bike racing does prepare you for life in a lot of ways just because there are so many ups and downs and successes and disappointments and just so many emotions that go along with it. Like that perspective and that experience can definitely help you kind of um, work with others and kind of have a little, little bit more empathy to something that they might be going through. Um, so that's one thing. And then I've dealt with so many injuries and issues that like, I get a lot of it. Um, I get how crappy it feels. I get like, being in pain and sore and not being able to move like you normally do. So, um, there's a big difference between sympathy and empathy. Yes. And exactly. being able to actually sympathize with somebody that you're caring for. Yeah. 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 That's, that is huge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not so. to mention your understanding of physiology <laughs> is going to come in handy. <laughs> I know it is. It is. Um, and I love that stuff. Like I really enjoy learning about the human body. Um, and I think physiology 
it's it's amazing how well the bodily body heals itself and functions. It's incredible. So I'm looking forward to learning a lot more about that. So as we sit here, August 2021, um, with this news fresh in everybody else's inbox, even though as we've talked, you've been living with this for a minute now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and trying to process through the emotion of all of this. Yeah. What does it feel like to look back on your career as a whole in racing? Mm -hmm. Are you yet at a point, like, because I could imagine a place where you just say, mm -hmm. the way this ended is too messy and too ugly, and I just can't even see past that yet to still enjoy and feel proud of what I did accomplish for two decades. Are you through that point yet, or is that still coming? I think I'm still processing it. Yeah. Like, I am super proud of everything I accomplished. Mm -hmm. um, just because, like, I've definitely gotten over some barriers, some health issues, some injuries. Just, like, I've dealt with a lot to get to where I am, and then also to accomplish and win as much as I did. So that like, and I know it's hundred percent legit. So mm. I am super proud of all that stuff. Um, but yeah, so processing the USADA stuff, I think that's going to take some time. I'm, I'm definitely in a better spot. Like it's been six months of going through it. Yeah. Um, but I'm not through it yet. I'm mm -hmm. still definitely processing. Um, luckily I've got a really good friend group and then I love mountain biking with the group I ride with. Um, and we just have so much fun. And like that, like that can never be taken away. What yeah, is it like so. for you to be able to just ride purely for fun? It, that is pretty great, actually. It definitely taken me because like I, I haven't ridden my bike maybe but once a week since all this happened. I've been running a lot more trail running, mainly because like every time I got on my bike, it was too much emotional connection. I just got too angry. Mm. So I had to like kind of put that on the back burner. I've just been riding my mountain bike because it's a more like the fun factor of it. Yeah. Um, um, and that's my girlfriend's ride, mostly just mountain bike anyway, so I've been doing that. It's pretty great. It's pretty great, yeah. <laughs> <It's> pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that kind of just brought the joy back of riding my bike. And I don't think about this whole situation, whereas I ride my cross bike, I ride my road bike, I just have time to sit and just get angry. So I'm kind of, it's gonna come back, but I'm yeah. giving, giving myself the kind of space to walk away from like the road and cross and just be like, you know what? I will get back on those bikes mm -hmm. when I'm less angry. Yeah. It may be also too early for a real answer to this question. But I'll ask anyway. <laughs> what do you see your future in cycling looking mm. like? I don't know. That's a good question. Mm -hmm. Um, that's something I've been like kind of throwing around cause I don't, I really don't know. Um, I was gonna, um, Maybe work with juniors and help with like guidance and like um, racer, like U.S. racers going over to Europe. But honestly, I don't care anymore. It's not my problem. You know, yeah. I tried to go to the ITA and, and help with them figuring out the doping. Mm -hmm. Will they investigate anything? I don't know if they will or not. But like, yeah. um, I'm kind of to the point where I've given back as much as I can. And... uh I'm not getting anything out of it. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't make me feel good. So I don't know. I might, that might change. But at this point, like you, I'm kind of angry enough to be like, you can't have the knowledge I have. You figure it out yourself. I don't care anymore. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Which kind of sounds like a, a dick thing to say, <laughs> but I'm like, no one helped me. Mark and I figured it all out on our own through trial and error. 
Yeah. Like we didn't get help in Belgium to the last couple of seasons. But like nobody helped me with racing. Nobody helped me with the jet lag. Nobody helped me with training. Nobody helped me with technical bits and tire pressure and equipment. Any of that stuff. Yeah. Um, that was all trial and error. And then I figured out on my own. Mark and I figured out on our own. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it wasn't until this season where like Audrey Vanderpool helped me with guidance on technical bits and racing stuff and just help help me try to be better. <laughs> it didn't work. Still slow. <laughs> but like it would have been awesome to have his guidance and information 10 years ago because yeah. it would have been the learning curve would have been a, a lot quicker. Um, so I kind of, I don't know. I figured like, you know what? I, I did what I could. I kind of got shit on at the end. And so, you know what? You can figure out yourself. <laughs> Which sounds awful. <laughs> but it's honest. But it's honest. Moment. And that's Especially, where I am. Yeah. Where, yeah. Are you, where, that's where I am. you are right now. Yeah. I wonder if yeah. that'll shift a little when, when things maybe, start Maybe. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I'm so bitter about all of it. So uh, I was like, you know, guys figure it out on your own. Are you, <laughs> are you bitter towards the cycling world and like that world in general or just kind of USADA, the doping controls, like that whole end of it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Both. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in the racing world for sure. Not not the cycling community. Not the people. Mm-hmm. Not the people who are just like riding their bikes for transport, for fun, for fitness, like the lifestyle type stuff. Absolutely not. Like I yeah. want to promote and help that as much as possible. Mm-hmm. I think the bike racing side, I'm just too jaded. Yeah. Far too jaded. Um. And so that that might take some time to come around if it ever comes around at all. Like I don't, I don't really pay attention to bike racing anymore. I don't care. Um, I question a lot of things. Um, Are you so jaded that if you could snap your fingers and do it all over again, you wouldn't? No, I actually okay. would now. I don't. I don't have any regrets that way. Okay. No, good. I mean, yeah. I would. I would take back. I wish I would have retired last year. That would have been great. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> kind of maybe yeah. before September. Yeah, I was thinking like the whole like when COVID hit, I should have just pulled the plug. But yeah. I was like, oh, I'll keep going. Like get through this and see. Mm-hmm. I just wish I would have because like we've been talking about retiring for the last two three seasons, and we're like, well, maybe we should hold on. And I just I wish I would have pulled the plug. Yeah. But I didn't. So I think my only regret is the fact that I should have retired a year ago Mm -hmm. and be done. If somebody came to you who was a racer up and coming, early 20s, whatever, and they said, look, Mm -hmm. you're not going to give me all the wisdom because you're jaded (laughs) and bitter. We heard the podcast. (laughs) But what would you say to them as they're stepping into the career that you are just now stepping out of? Mm, I would say have a backup plan. Have a backup plan, have an education, um, and don't let bike racing be everything in your life. It's just it's just a job. Don't have so much uh, emotional investment in it because there's a lot of disappointment in bike racing. Yeah, a lot more disappointment than success, which nobody like truly like sees, but like only one person wins. Only one person gets the accolades. So mm-hmm. you can get third or fourth and nobody remembers that. So I mean, I've been second at Worlds four times, but nobody knows that except me and Mark and probably my parents. <laughs> and the six people that are going to listen to this podcast. This, yeah, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> it was seven. No, it was seven, yeah. yeah. But I don't know. I, that's yeah. a tough one because, like, the experiences are so amazing, but it's a hard, it's a hard lifestyle. I don't know. I don't know if it's 100% worth it, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. I think having a job and riding your bike for fun... Somebody said for that. 
sometimes you turn your turn your hobby into a profession and you realize how hard it is. Yeah. Living the dream is amazing until it's not. <laughs> oh, that's a quote. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is. It's hard. I mean, every job you, it sucks at some point, but like sometimes like even training this year in Belgium, 40 degrees and raining and I'm like, "Great, I got to go for 3 hours. This is going to be fun." <laughs> like yeah. people don't see that part of it. Yeah. And then the eating right and like the sleep and like you do everything you possibly can to be healthy and well. Mm -hmm. Um, and that doesn't always show up in the results. Yeah. So yeah, I, I kind of also look at it like if you're working a job and you're working, say you're working two weeks a month on a project, maybe six months on a project and it's a major project, whether it's kind of like your bonus relies on this project, mm -hmm. you present it and everyone's like, that sucked. Like, is that all you got? <laughs> yeah. Like, that'd be tough. That would be tough. And doing that every week for your career <laughs> for like 20 years yeah, so you're like constantly failing and wow. it's getting pointed out to you so i don't think people like if you if you're looking in the working world like i would compare it to yeah a major project that you've been working on and then you'd present it and everyone's like wow. not what we're looking for so <laughs> what if you went back and tried that again <laughs> and <laughs> maybe week. you'll get fired if we don't like it the second time yeah <laughs> so putting it that way what did keep mm -hmm. you on the bike all of those years I love riding bikes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I loved riding bikes. And then I just happened to be good enough at cross to be able to keep doing it and still enjoy it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That is some incredible perspective. Thank <laughs> yeah. you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I do get the sense that yeah. you're a pretty competitive person. Would you I, agree with that? Um, in times past. Now, I don't think so. I don't. Like, I struggle to be competitive in mm. anything. I just don't care. <laughs> I was going to ask you if you had an outlet for that competition, but uh, I guess um, no more competitive chess league. <laughs> no, I think, I think that's... Up on the side. I think that ship has sailed. Like, I think that ship has sailed. I don't... And I, I even felt that the last two... Probably the last couple of seasons of racing, too. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't have that edge. I didn't have that, like, I'm going to fight for this turn. I was like, that's fine, you take it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Mm -hmm. I'll finish 10th instead of 7th. I don't really care. <laughs> wow. And so that doesn't help either. Like you kind of need to have that fire and that drive, which mm -hmm. I had when I was younger. But I got to the point where um, it was just a struggle. And whether I finish 15th or 25th, doesn't really matter. Hmm. I didn't think it did. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So. Well. We would love to, you know, we alluded to this earlier, but uh, we like to ask the best day, worst day. And mm -hmm. there have been a lot of different options mm. that you've thrown out in there, but do you have, you have some you could share? Yeah. Best day you can think of on a bike and then just miserable. <laughs> Why am I on the saddle today? Oh, actually two. Okay. Those actually stick out pretty well. Yeah. Best day on the bike was winning gold in Athens in the tandem pursuit with my stove would have been pretty shocked if you said anything but that <laughs> 2004 set a world record it was one of those rides in a pursuit like so pursuing mm -hmm. um you have these super consistent so lap times you're measuring lap times at 0.10 of a second to be consistent okay so, right. so i don't i can't remember what lap times are in a, a 250 but we'll say 15 5 
Mm-hmm. Um, so you're hitting 15, 5, 15, 5, 15, 5, 15, 4, 15, 3, 15. Like you're kind of within, you want to be yeah. as consistent as possible, lap to lap to lap. Mm-hmm. And then ideally you want to go faster. And so it's, you are riding on the lot. Yes. Like yes. right to your power number. Yes. Yeah. Well, we didn't, I mean, this is before right, like really before thing, too many but, power meters. Yeah. This is 2004. Um, but it was, it was just such an amazing ride. It was a final. Um, and it was one of those rides where, I think we had nine laps to go. And like usually in the nine lap range, you've settled into your pace and you're just kind of picking out laps and six laps mm. to go. That's when you're like, okay, six laps to go. Let's kind of push harder. Three yeah. laps to go. Like our coach just like, just give her. Mm-hmm. And we got faster and faster and faster. Like the mm-hmm. last three to four laps, we're just like full gas, feeling good, leg speed, good pacing, good. Like everything. The coach is just saying like, just, finish it out because he, we are above our, our, um, goal lap times and we ended up winning and setting world record and it was a fabulous ride. And that's like probably the last time I've felt that amazing on a bike. And so I I remember, yeah, yeah, I I remember that one. So that will never go away. That was my favorite time on a bike. And then the most miserable time on the bike was, um, one of the Belgian world cups this year. I don't know if you guys saw that race where I got stuck in the sand mud and, Mm. No, I didn't see this one. It's pretty hilarious. It was actually retweeted on Eurosport or something. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I'll try it. I'll try to find it. But like, so there's one race in, it was in Belgium and it was a World Cup and it was so much rain, so much wind, a brand new course. And like, they made these kind of um, sandy, muddy humps and with freshly laid gra- like grass seed. Mm. And so with all the rain, I mean, it almost turned into like a running course and we're riding through like six inches a foot of mud. And it wasn't just mud. It was like quicksand mud because it's oh. sandy mud. Oh. And so everything was just so slow and so miserable. And I, um, trying to pass on one of the downhill humps, I hit, you know, a big old pool of water that had obviously a dip in the bottom, which I couldn't mm-hmm. see. And the pre-ride, it wasn't there. And so I didn't think anything ever about this ride into a puddle. Well, it had a huge hole in the bottom. So I hit it, went over the bars, crashed in a puddle. And it's like... <laughs> I don't know. It was probably 43 degrees in sleeting rain, mm. maybe 30, oh. maybe it's like in the thirties in sleeting rain, but it was miserable. It was on the line. I'm just like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> it was so miserable. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I crashed and that was on the first lap. Oh, and wow. then I kind of, I like, it took me a little time because like, not only are you, you just crashed and everything's fine, but like I crashed in a puddle of cold water. I'm like mm-hmm. freezing, mm. trying to like, you know how you 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 can't catch your breath because you're in like cold water. Like, yeah. Okay. Oh okay. So I'm like trying to get the breathing under control. I'm trying to be like, I think my body's fine. I've got, I'm ten minutes into this race or not even, and I'm like, what's it gonna be? <laughs> cold forty five minutes. Oh. <laughs> um. But like, it took me like a lap or two to regroup. I finally regrouped. But this was like, I think within that time period, I was like, what am I doing? I am so done. Like, can I quit? I really want to quit. But I was like, I'm not a quitter. <laughs> And I was like, Ellie, I need to have an excuse to quit. And I was like, that was the first time I'd ever been on a bike in a race where I was like trying not to quit instead of trying to go faster. And I was like, you're not that person. If you quit, you're going to regret it, even though I'm so miserable. And I, I really want to just stop doing this completely. Um, but later on in that race, I was going on one section that they actually ended up taking out for the men's race because it's unridable and barely runnable. It's just like a, a, sand, a sand hump that... I rode that section in pre-ride and it was fine, but then by two, three laps later with more rain, it just got super sticky like quicksand. So I went to my foot in it 
and my my foot it just got stuck i couldn't get my foot out and then like i'm trying to find my balance my bike's getting stuck because um it's so heavy to, to shoulder that i was just kind of gonna roll it well that yeah. was dumb because like my wheels are stuck my feet are stuck i'm like stuck in the mud trying to like <laughs> maneuver out oh. and so it was just one of those i don't know i think it only spent like maybe five or seven seconds getting out of that mud bog but uh but in a race that's an eternity oh yeah not only that i'm just like i'm cold i'm cracking i'm riding crappy i'm stuck in the mud i'm just like <laughs> <laughs> just want to stop um but i didn't i finished and it was miserable and i don't know where i finished but it was it was quite a ways back but that was probably that was the worst day that was a day where i'm just like i'm done i am yeah. so done with this i just can't <laughs> i can't anymore and that's literally in all the interviews we've done so far that's only the second time someone's actually finished a worst day story and not said man that was so great Oh yeah, no, like, uh -uh. <laughs> <laughs> that no wasn't chance. even type two fun. <laughs> <laughs> well beyond. Yeah, that oh. was that was miserable the whole time, and I'm just like, I should. I don't know if I should have dropped out, but uh, yeah, I'm not a quitter. <laughs> like some days where the stubbornness comes in. Wow. Yeah. Like I should just stop while I was ahead. You painted a pretty vivid picture yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. I'll <laughs> try to find the. Rough. I'll try to find the video of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you can, we may have to link that in the show notes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. A lot of people saw it. It was definitely yeah. got retweeted. Like even a friend of mine who doesn't even follow bike race and she saw it on Instagram. She's like, is this you? <laughs> and I was like, it is actually. I was like, you're following bike racing? She's like, no, this is just retweeted by some, or like put on Instagram by some random person I follow. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so. Well, again, we, we are so honored to have you with us <laughs> and you know, taking the time to share your story and what it's been like to go through a, a really amazing time and a really rough time yeah. and we would love to just celebrate you and your career and new beginnings that you yes. get to look forward to now and you know i i hope that you you still get to enjoy that time on the bike and what it looks like turning the corner mm -hmm. thank you and i will um i definitely enjoy riding my bike now i just need to get past the uh the bike racing part <laughs> Yeah. And even yeah. though we didn't crack into the mimosas this morning before the interview, <laughs> you know, we probably should have just opened the Prosecco anyway <laughs> in celebration <True. laughs> of what was a truly illustrious and fantastic career on the bike. And we're just, yeah, we're really proud to have you here in the studio and super glad to have had the chance to chat. So, okay. Kate, thanks so much for coming by. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. If you want to know more about stand up pedal action, you can check us out online at supa.bike. That's S-U-P-A dot B-I-K-E. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.